A young perspective on hot button issues around the world. This is the Hub. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Meng Guan in Beijing. It has been more than five months since Hamas's attack on Israel on October the 7th and the subsequent Israeli offensive on Gaza. But there's some hope that truce efforts are now picking up pace. Mediators have met in Paris, France last Friday to negotiate a potential deal for a pause in the fighting in Gaza. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said on Sunday that Israeli forces would push into Rafah for total victory, regardless of whether a ceasefire deal could be reached. Despite all that, Israeli negotiators are set to travel to Doha, Qatar in the coming days to continue discussions on a captive release and truce agreement. Meanwhile, Palestinian news agency Wafa says President Mahmoud Abbas has accepted the resignation of his Prime Minister Mahmoud Shataya's government. They will continue their duties until a new government is formed. Meanwhile, Associated Press journalist David Bieber has more from Jerusalem. This mass resignation is aimed at paving the way towards a shakeup in the PA. It also shows that the PA wants a role in running post-war Gaza. That's also what Washington wants. Now, we don't know yet who is going to be uh, picked as the replacement prime minister, but the expected choice is Muhammad Mustafa. This is a man who has held key leadership positions in the PA. He is currently the senior economic advisor to President Abbas. He also uh, runs Pal the Palestinian Investment Fund. Most interestingly, perhaps, he worked for the World Bank in Washington for more than 15 years. So he is a known quantity there. He is a, uh, a technocrat. But there could be huge obstacles. Namely, we don't know if Hamas or Israel would would want to work with him. Uh, the Palestinian Authority is is very unpopular among Palestinians, and President Abbas isn't going anywhere yet. So, you know, it it, there, it would be a limited shakeup at least, let's say, and um, you know, it could be a step in the right direction, but perhaps not enough. Right. So today we had exchanges of attacks between Israel and Hezbollah. It started with Hezbollah downing an Israeli drone that was flying over Lebanon. Uh, later, Israeli fighter jets uh, targeted Hezbollah targets deep inside Lebanon, the deepest yet or among the deepest yet since the, since the uh, war in Hamas began, uh, killing at least two Hezbollah members. Hezbollah retaliated with uh, 60 rockets aimed at the Golan Heights, um, and Israel then retaliated back, went after the launch site as well as another uh, Hezbollah member who was who was targeted and killed. So you know this really reflects the heightened tensions in uh, northern Israel on the border, and Hezbollah has been saying that it could end these near daily attacks if there were a ceasefire in Gaza. Israel, on the other hand, has said that these attacks will only continue. And in fact, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said that they will escalate attacks even if there is a ceasefire. David Biller with the Associated Press for CGTN in Jerusalem. Now to take stock of the Israeli-Gaza conflict, I'm pleased to be joined in Guangzhou by Ibrahim Hashem, an Emirati strategist and Asia Global Fellow at Hong Kong University's Asia Global Institute. In Shanghai, we have Joseph Gregory Mahoney, Professor of Politics at East China Normal University. In Beijing, we have Zhou Rong, Senior Analyst from the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University. And also in Xi'an, we have Wang Jin, Associate Professor from the Institute of Middle East Studies at Northwest University. Now, Ibrahim, let me go to you first. There are so many new developments in the Middle East for us to, to decipher and to make sense of there, this resignation of the Prime Minister of the Palestinian Authority. 
Um, uh, reportedly, Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, has accepted that resignation. And also, um, we have uh, a potential p truce deal, finally, a truce deal, potentially, uh, whereby parties uh, involved are meeting in Paris. Uh, we have, for example, the Israeli National Security Advisor suggesting on Saturday that an agreement might be possible. And also we have Haaretz Media citing a foreign diplomat saying that Israeli media reported significant progress where all parties are showing flexibility. Um, Abraham, do you think, first of all, a ceasefire can be reached before the holy month of Ramadan that is in about two weeks from now? Uh, what is the prospect here? Um, it's possible as long as uh, there is pressure on the uh, Israeli government. I'm not sure whether there will be a permanent ceasefire uh, agreement because um, uh, some uh, hours ago uh, we got the news that there will be a, uh, there's an agreement that there will be a release of uh, hostages, uh, a woman and uh, elderly uh, released by Hamas and other militia groups in, in Palestine, in Gaza. And in uh, exchange for that, uh, there will be a release of uh, around 400 Palestinians held in uh, prisons uh, by the Israeli uh, uh, forces. Um, it's possible, uh, but without pressure from the international community, without pressure uh, from um, the U.S. administration on the Israeli government, uh, I'm not sure uh, whether it's going to be uh, persisting because uh, also recently, uh, not too long ago, um, the current prime minister of Israel said, uh, regardless of what, of the outcome of uh, these agreements or these uh, negotiations, uh, we will continue our operations until we achieve all uh, our goals. And these goals, uh, so far, uh, we haven't actually seen them uh, achieved by uh, any measure. So uh, it's a very complicated situation. Uh, we hope, uh, of course, uh, that this agreement will persist and a ceasefire will be uh, implemented. Yeah, Abraham, we know that um, the Palestinian Authority have long had this uh, intricate, complex relationship with Hamas, which is considered a more uh, extremist faction uh, of the Palestinians. What do you make of the fact that uh, the Prime Minister of the Palestinian Authority submitted the resignation and uh, reportedly President Mahmoud Abbas accepted it? Why now? Well, um, whoever is going to eventually manage um, Gaza and manage the West Bank, uh, that will be a decision to be made by the Palestinians themselves. Uh, so uh, the uh, external uh, powers or the external uh, players, um, they should not really interfere in the internal uh, matters of the uh, uh, Palestinians. Um, as long as uh, there is an agreement between the Palestinians, the, uh, the, the uh, PLO, uh, the current you know, Palestinian government in the West Bank, and um, the other uh, factions in Gaza, including Hamas, as long as there is an agreement among these uh, different parties, there's a unified uh, government um, in Gaza and West Bank, uh, that is their business and that will have to be uh, decided uh, by them. Mr. Zhou Rong, let me turn to you here in Beijing. Uh, do you think a meaningful and verifiable ceasefire can be reached uh, anytime soon, given the latest developments in Paris and elsewhere? I think the temporary uh, ceasefire may be reached very soon because uh, Israel itself uh, were inflicted a heavy loss during their ground attack against Gaza. But on the other way, the permanent uh, ceasefire cannot be reached very soon because Israel's the goal is to wipe out Hamas or expel all of them 
out of uh, Gaza. So it is uh, very difficult to reach such agreement. And also, America cannot abandon its policy supporting Israel <coughs> against the Palestine. So right now, the temporary uh, ceasefire can only reach uh, one goal that's relax the humanitarian disaster for a short time. But after that, I think right now that Israel will be ready for the new underground attack in Gaza area. They will not stop that. That is Netanyahu's policy and their final goals. The final goal of what? Final goal is wiping out the Hamas. They will, because you know the, the agreement is not, uh, uh, I think the four sides without the uh, uh, Palestinians' uh, uh, authority in West Bank. So that is to say only Hamas, Egypt, and uh, Israel, Qatar, as well as the United States reach agreement. So that must be the temporary one, cannot be the final one. Because uh, without Palestinian authority join in, any kind of agreement will be a short one. All right, uh, Professor Mahoney, we've heard from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu pushing his uh, hard line, uh, saying that uh, the Israeli troops will move into Rafah regardless of what happens on the negotiating table. And he also said that um, in a post-war plan, Israel will take over civilian and secure the aspects of Gaza. Uh, what do you think will happen next? Well, I'm not optimistic that we've yet seen a true change of heart in Tel Aviv, so I agree with my colleagues. Uh, perhaps we're simply seeing some PR games by the Israelis to buy more time uh, as their allies or vital trading partners experience increasing discomfort. Uh, for example, I was speaking with a, a Turkish political activist a few days ago who uh, described uh, increasing tensions in Istanbul. Uh, on the one hand, Turkey is publicly empathizing with the Palestinian people while reportedly still selling oil and military equipment to Israel and still buying advanced uh, weapons from Israel. So Turkey's not the only country that's facing pressure, and this pressure is certainly understood in Tel Aviv. Um, now, it might be the case that Israel will try to exploit the possibility of the ceasefire as a means for extracting concessions from different players, and then if one's brokered, uh, even if it's short-term, hyping it as an indicator of their humanity. So while one might be coming, while a short-term one might be coming, and certainly is desperately needed and should be encouraged, one should also wonder uh, at what price. Uh, as for uh, what comes next in uh, Gaza, you know, one of the things that we haven't talked about is after uh, assuming that Israel is capable of uh, eradicating Hamas, which I don't think uh, many people uh, think that that's a, a realistic uh, uh, objective, uh, then there are other groups that they have to contend with, like Islamic Jihad, uh, that they also would like to eradicate. So how far would it go? Uh, how long would they need to occupy? What sort of presence? All of these remain open questions. Yeah, there are so many structural issues uh, in play. Uh, Professor Wang Jin, let me turn to you. Talking about China's role, China has been calling for a ceasefire. It has been uh, walking a thin line, has been playing this delicate balancing uh, act, uh, you know, supporting the humanitarian causes of the Palestinians while, um, you know, heeding the concerns of Israel as well. Uh, what do you think China has uh, done and what role do you think China will play when it comes to a path to ceasefire? Uh, I think China has already done a very, very important, uh, active, constructive role and will continue to do this role in the future. 
uh, because we know that on the one hand, China uh, tried to create the kind of the, the atmosphere for the international community to uh, facilitate and encourage peace, because we know that, for example, uh, last uh, uh, November, China as the rotating chair of the United Nations Security Council, uh, China uh, uh, tried to encourage and facilitate the, the pass of the resolution of the very first resolution of the United Nations Security Council over the last latest round of Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So actually, China tries to do our uh, best. And on the other hand, China, uh, on many occasions, uh, tried to repeat and retaliate the very, very important principle of the future peace between Israel and Palestinian. That is the two-state solution. Because during the past weeks, uh, especially the past one week, a lot of the very noise no, they trying to speak out, for example, that we should forget about the, the so-called two-state solution. We should forget about the independence of the Palestinian national uh, nation state. That is very dangerous news and dangerous signals for the future peace between Israel and Palestinians. So, uh, so uh, on many occasions, China repeatedly called for the international community to respect and insist the principle of the two-state solution. I think that is why China contributes a lot and also will continue to do our best to help and facilitate the peace process between between Israel and Palestinians try to encourage the peace come back as early as possible. Yeah, talking about the multilateral approach, we know what, where the problem lies, uh, at least some of us. Um, Abraham, uh, the United Nations Security Council has proposed multiple rounds of resolutions and proposals calling for an immediate ceasefire, but those proposals and resolutions were voted down by a country, and then we're going to name the name, that is the United States of America. Um, how do you feel about that, and uh, why do you think that's the case? One major part of the reason why uh, this issue has not been resolved uh, uh, since 1948 is because a lot of uh, people regionally and also uh, globally, uh, uh, the foreign power, especially the United States and uh, some other uh, Western powers, view um, the issue not as, you know, between two peoples, you know, the Israelis and the Palestinians. Some policymakers, some politicians in the West view Israel, uh, view Palestine as an extension of their power in the world, uh, as an extension of their influence in the region and in the world. You know, uh, uh, for uh, some of these uh, people, uh, they see Ukraine, Palestine, and Taiwan as the three pillars of their global hegemony. Uh, if it was only, you know, an issue to be resolved between two peoples, you know, the Israelis and the Palestinians, uh, the law is clear, the UN Charter is clear, the UN resolutions are clear. They are basically saying, just give the Palestinians uh, a state of their own based on the 1967 uh, borders with the uh, uh, with East uh, Jerusalem as the capital of uh, this state, the Palestinian state. But because there are a lot of uh, regional implications and global implications, we are not really able to resolve uh, this question, the question of Palestine. Um, as far as the vetoes, uh, the three vetoes used uh, by the U.S. Uh, since uh, the 7th of October, uh, basically um, U.S. in the region has lost a lot of influence uh, and a lot of uh, credibility. Um, now the Arab countries and also uh, some Muslim countries are trying to re-internationalize uh, the question of Palestine, as you know, uh, since the 1990s, the U.S. has monopolized the uh, peace negotiation process. Although um, in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, there was a quartet 
established, you know, United States, uh, European Union, and uh, Russia uh, um, 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 established to really just, you know, bring an end to this uh, uh, longstanding um, issue, the question of uh, Palestine. But the U.S. Uh, monopolized this process. And as a result, the Palestinians did not really get their rights. Uh, you know, uh, during the Oslo uh, course or as part of the Oslo uh, negotiations, the Palestinians were actually promised to to have uh, land for peace. So you just, you know, give us peace. We ensure that uh, the Israeli uh, society or Israel will be uh, secure. And in return, the Palestinians will get their uh, their land back. Uh, but that did not really happen. On the contrary, the Israeli government since the 90s have actually uh, increased the settlements in West Bank. Uh, and now uh, we have more than 700,000 uh, uh, settlers, uh, around 400 in West Bank and around 250 in uh, East Jerusalem. And that is going to be further complicating the question of Palestine. But in my opinion, uh, the recent events, especially since uh, October 7, um, and also especially uh, since the decision to actually take the case to the International Court of uh, Justice, there's a lot of uh, attention being paid mm -hmm. uh, to this uh, issue. It's, it's not only you know political issue now, it's a humanitarian issue. And in my opinion, I'm very hopeful that within maybe 10 years, uh, maximum 20 years, uh, this uh, question hopefully will be addressed. Right. Uh, let's talk about um, the Israeli situation here. Uh, Mr. Joe, Israeli opposition leader uh, Yair Lapid criticized the uh, Israeli police forces response to protests against Netanyahu's government. Uh, what do you think this will mean for Netanyahu's political future? Because we've known, we know that uh, Netanyahu has uh, generated quite a bit of controversy since uh, not only the start of his current uh, tenure, but previously too. For Netanyahu, I think the only thing for him to do is continue his war. Because when the war suddenly stopped and his uh, political future is finished, he may have uh, no future. Because for Netanyahu, the peace is meaningless for him. For him, the only thing he launched one war on Gaza, if he can just uh, get United States involved in and to maybe launch another small skirmish or even sometimes a low level attack on Hezbollah and even Syria, even get Iran involved in that, make it split over the whole Middle East region. Maybe that his purpose. But I think uh, uh, his participation is uh, much over than his ability. I don't really think he will reach his aim. And uh, he got a lot of pressures, not only from uh, the rest of the world, but also from his uh, ally, America, also forced him to stop the war, though America does not openly saying that they will just uh, ask Israel to stop the war. But in a lot of private diplomacy, Blinken and, and, and a lot of American diplomats, American officials, just try to convince Israel they will not be able to wipe out Hamas, not be able to achieve the goal. But Netanyahu is a such person who will not listen to any kind of uh, uh, advices or pressures from the outside. He will continue his war. But uh, for some of the tactics, he may adjust some of his policy, try to adapt itself to some of the pressure. He will not change his uh, policy. 
I cannot see in the near future he has any kind of real adjustment on his policy towards Palestinian people. He will not do that. Thanks for this analysis. Um, uh, Professor Wang Jin, the Prime Minister, or should I say the outgoing Prime Minister of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud uh, Shataya, tendered his resignation as we talked about previously. He cited internal challenges and the toll of conflict with Israel as uh, reasons why he's submitting the resignation now. What political structure is likely to administer a post-war Palestinian state? I think it's, it's meeting a new beginning because actually we have to know that inside the structure, political structure, the Palestinian Authority, Prime Minister is important, but not that much. The very foundation uh, role played inside the Palestinian Authority is the president, is Mahmoud Abbas himself. So Mahmoud Abbas is the most important figure and the prime minister actually during the past decades uh, changed several times and every time there comes an important figure but actually the very political determinational voice was uh, was played by Mahmoud Abbas, the president himself. So actually the, the resignation of prime minister on the one hand might reflect the very uh, growing dissatisfaction of the Palestinian people in, in the West Bank because the Palestinian people in the West Bank, they hope the Palestinian Authority by the Fatah to do something to change uh, that what is happening in the Gaza Strip to influence the war. But on the other hand, we have to know that it also might come from the pressure of the United States because the United States hope that the Palestinian Authority to reform, to be reformed into the new authority to be ready for the future political structure uh, in the Gaza Strip to re, uh, govern the Gaza Strip uh, like what happened before 2007, before the Fatah and the Hamas internal war that year. So that is why I think it is a very new, uh, maybe the new time that because uh, uh, the, the, the Palestinian Authority led by Fatah is preparing for accept, for regovern the Gaza Strip. But the, we have to know that there is one predict condition for that would happen because that precondition is that the, the out, power, out of power. Uh, the, the, the very uh, so-called elimination of the Hamas in the Gaza Strip. But what, if we look at what is happening now in the Gaza Strip, I don't think that would happen. All right, uh, Joseph, let me turn to you. Uh, there's an election going on that is uh, the U.S. presidential election in the primaries of the GOP. Donald Trump is going very strong, beating Nikki Haley in South Carolina these days on, on her home turf. And uh, he's widely speculated to be the nominee for the GOP going forward and even uh, potentially um, you know, having this very strong uh, um, showing against Joe Biden in a November matchup. What do you think when it comes to military aid to countries like Israel and Ukraine, uh, how will that change? Because uh, Donald Trump uh, boasts himself as having uh, you know, the, the utmost support to Israel, given his relations with Israel, with Bibi himself, and his, also his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, uh, their personal ties with Israel. First, uh, Biden's so politically invested in defeating Russia uh, that he seems unlikely to consider negotiations until after the election. Uh, while some Republicans continue to press allegations of a Biden-Ukraine uh, corruption scandal and calling for the end of USA to Kiev. Uh, second, uh, some suspect Netanyahu is still pressing in Gaza, not simply because of his own strategic goals, which, which I think is certainly uh, the case, but also because it harms uh, Biden's re-election chances uh, with reports that uh, uh, Israel's uh, conservative politicians prefer uh, a Trump presidency. And of course, Trump uh, has indicated already that he uh, may take the fight more directly uh, to Tehran 
which uh, Netanyahu uh, wants. Now, both conflicts are hurting Biden. The war in Ukraine is essentially over, uh, despite continued fighting, uh, effectively stalemated for more than a year, uh, while Biden's support uh, for Israel is turning a relatively small but important group of Democrats and independents against him uh, in an era when intense uh, polarization and slim margins mean uh, every vote counts. Yeah, it's all about turnout. And uh, let's see which candidate will um, rally the crowd better. Abraham, the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres, has warned that a full-scale Israeli operation in Rafah could severely harm Gaza's aid programs, humanitarian situation over there. What could be the consequences of such an operation? The, the Egyptians are really uh, very concerned about any um, military action in Rafah. Uh, we already know that uh, there are um, um, around two uh, million people uh, already in Rafah. They have been actually displaced from uh, northern parts of uh, Gaza. And the humanitarian situation is really, really dire. And if the Israelis decide to go into Rafah and really just, you know, carry out this military uh, operation, uh, there will be more people uh, dying. And this is not going to be acceptable by anybody. And the Egyptians are really concerned because uh, they are um, uh, some uh, Egyptians are saying maybe this is um, uh, a plan to really just, you know, go into Rafah and really just, you know, um, uh, open some uh, holes in the uh, wall uh, created between uh, Rafah and Egypt and then use that as an excuse to really displace the Palestinians into Sinai. And this is a, a really a red line, a big red line for the Egyptians. And they are really watching the situation very, very uh, carefully. So this is hopefully this is not going to happen. And the news that coming out of the negotiations between the two sides um, 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 agreeing on um, a temporary ceasefire, hopefully uh, it's going to persist and it's going to be implemented. And, and, and as a result, hopefully we'll be avoiding uh, a catastrophic situation in, in Rafah. Yeah, Professor Joron, we have about one minute left. Um, you know, considering the situation right now, Israel's conflicts with Lebanon on one hand and Israel's offensive in Gaza. Is Israel heading towards a full-scale war with Lebanon in the north? And um, what do you think will be the spillover effect of conflicts in the Middle East region? I don't really think Israel will launch a full-scale war against uh, Lebanon. Israel only wanted more country to be involved. Israel wanted to be a victim of the war, not uh, to be the aggressor of the war. I would like to add one point on the Ukraine and Israel. And for United States, they can support Ukraine more or less. For Israel, they must support. Full-time, they cannot give less aid to Israel because Israel is more important than Ukraine for American strategic interest. Very good. Well, we'll see how elections in the U.S. shape up. And uh, we're also praying that um, humanitarian aid will reach those in need in Gaza and elsewhere in the Middle East, and peace will be reached soon. With that, we come to the close of this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Ong Guan in Beijing. I'll see you again soon.